Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Four podcast. Hello, Mr. Mitzner. Oh, uh, I was saying hello to the listeners, but sure, you can say hello to me, too. I just want actually, to... Go ahead. I was saying we actually had 12 of them last week, so uh, making good progress. 12 last week. That's exciting. Uh, I hope that they all remembered to subscribe to our podcast and whatever service they were using to listen to us on so they get notifications whenever we release new podcasts. Yeah. Hopefully soon enough we'll have corporate sponsorships. So this podcast will be brought to you by State Farm or Academy Sports and Outdoors. The right stuff at the right price. Academy. Uh, I feel like if, if we're going to do State Farm, then we actually would have to have people that are good neighbors that are there for each other. Hey. <laughs> don't you live in a community where that's supposed to be the case uh, I forgot sometimes you want to go where nobody knows your name that's it's funny probably uh, that may be more accurate than the actual juice theme song I mean in the uh, 80s that was probably true that you wanted to go places where nobody knew who you were no you wanted to go where people knew your name because People weren't as connected, and so you wanted to go someplace to see people. Now you can sit at home and be with everyone or anyone. That is true. But we got a lot to discuss tonight. November 4th was a pretty big day in history. But we start, as always, with sports. So the Astros lost to the Braves in six games of the World Series. I had the privilege, as well as the depression of being at game six of that World Series where we lost seven to nothing. And literally in the third inning, watching the Atlanta Braves player hit a ball literally out of Minute Maid Park. The ball went so far, 446 feet to left field, that it left the actual ballpark. So if that wasn't a way to just say, you're not winning this, I don't know if anything else that could kind of be uh, any more obvious. Was that like the furthest hit ever? No, not the furthest ever in Minute Maid. There are other people who have left it. It's a good question. It can be if we only had a research analyst working on this podcast, somebody could look up right now. Well, maybe um, if you got some of those sweet corporate sponsorships you were talking about. Yeah, we could afford one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so as of now, um, I do not know the answer to that, but I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure that there's been over 500-foot home runs, but – it's where he hits it to each um, when you hit a 446 home run to our left field, it can leave the ballpark. So if you hit, hit that to center field, it's still staying in the stadium. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Well, depressing when it's done against your team, especially yeah. since the Astros gave up so many grand slams in between the, in the postseason and world series. It was insane. Mm. So um, they got to game six. Yeah, them. listen, it was still a fairly successful season as a fan, like five straight years getting to the ALCS, three times getting to the World Series, and ultimately winning the championship once. Uh, people can say whatever they want, but the memories live forever. And the statistics. That too. The statistics, yeah, exactly. Even during the steroid era, those statistics are still there. You cannot, cannot take them away. Very interesting. But nonetheless, congrats to the Braves. Bummer for the Astros. 
I lost the bet, and as part of it, I now have to buy a Braves jersey and take a picture in it and send it over to my uh, members of my family who now live in Atlanta. It's very depressing. Woo. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It could be worse. They wanted, I, they wanted to bet more stuff, like food. Like, I'd have to, like, send them, like, meat. And so at the end of the day, while that might be painful, at least it's not like it requires a lot of work other than ordering a jersey. I know, but there's something actually worse, I would say. Like, well, I'm gonna wear I'm gonna wear a jersey of a player on the Braves who didn't play in any of the World Series games or postseason. That's how I'm gonna. Um, I know, but if you said to me, "Go out and buy a Habs jersey or whatever," and yeah, send but it the to, Braves like... the Braves aren't our arch rivals. Like, if we had lost to the Dodgers, I would never make that bet. I would never put on a Do- like our Dodgers. Dodgers are and rivals. Astros are rivals. After 17, they are. Ah, okay, fine, but it's not like you're not talking about like yeah. Yankees, Red Sox. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, it's not to that level. Okay. Um, the next interesting topic, I don't know if you heard about this, but the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, best quarterback in football, um, tested positive for COVID. Now, normally, I, we wouldn't talk about it, bring it up, but the thing is, he was telling everybody that he was inoculated, acted as if he was vaccinated for COVID, didn't wear a mask, didn't follow any of the policies, and then it was later found out that whatever vaccine or thing he got was not one of the ones that is covered under COVID protocol. So he will not only miss the next game, but what people are way more upset about is that they feel like he was lying the entire time about having been vaccinated when he really wasn't and not following protocols. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, one, what was this alleged thing that he believes that he was inoculated with that the NFL yeah. won't accept? That's one. Um, two, somebody who knows that it doesn't necessarily um, fit the protocols in place and knows what they are and doesn't tell anyone. And then three, the NFL not looking and seeing somebody's vaccine card to know whether or not they're actually vaccinated or not. Like, why are you just taking people's words for it? Like, if, if you're going to put in all these policies into place, like, and you're going to take it as seriously as the NFL does, because talk about a high contact sport um, with a lot of things. And again, they're a private yeah. institution. This isn't a public institution. How they're not requiring for everybody to either show them proof of a vaccine, show them proof of that they, um, um, that or that they've had antibodies in or had it in the last two weeks. Like, I, I don't know how you get away with that. So they basically, yeah, they basically It's an said, unfolding story. This came out today, this morning. Um, so I, I, I think a lot more will still come out. But yeah, yeah, it's they've got a lot. Like, in the end, everybody's focusing on him. I'm like, how is nobody focusing on the fact that the NFL didn't know that he wasn't vaccinated? Like, Sounds like the, they have some explaining to do. Yeah, or they'll just be like, hey. Don't worry, you'll forget this. We'll just give you another concussion. Huh. Huh. Hey, look, another shiny object. Yeah. So, listen, it's, it's, I don't know if it's Americans' thirst for contact sports or whatever, but the fact that that movie Concussion came out, the dangers of football are so widely well known and it still remains as popular as it is today, and it seems like it has no signs of slowing down, is probably one of the most amazing things 
in this country. Now they are doing more for player safety and whatever, but I mean, still like you play in the NFL for years and years. And a lot of these guys who only play for two, three years have horrible gruesome injuries and aren't compensated that well, especially if that's the only real money they're going to make because they're about to have a life altering injury as a result. So right. it, it, it still kind of surprises me that how in this me too, um, politically correct movement, um, the NFL is kind of like n- not what they're doing, but the fact that their sport still exists and exists in this capacity is fascinating to me. Like I would, if it was, they took out the tackling and they made it like flag football and it was the best players in the world at it. And it was still football as it is today, but just, you'd have to just, instead of tackling somebody, just have to pull out their flag. I would still probably watch that. And I think probably 60 to 70% of their fans would. So it's really to not lose 30% of your fan base over it um, and just have these people going to have chronic injuries. It's, it's very interesting. So I'll say, <clears throat> excuse me, the popularity isn't surprising. What's surprising is that parents are pushing their children to go but, into yeah, this sport. Or anybody who doesn't have an alternate option in order to pay for their children's education are still doing it. Like, if you have an alternate option to pay for your children's college education, why would you push them towards football? There are people who literally, it's their one path to make sure their children get a college education. Because remember, 98% of the athletes that play college football never play in the NFL and never make money as a result. They're... It's, it's, it's literally the education they're getting and it's obviously they enjoy being on the team, but it's the education they're getting in the full scholarship. Now, at least they're finally paying these guys for their likeness, but unless you're on a top five college football team in the country, you're probably not getting any real money for you, like that you can really market yourself anyway. So it's, it's very interesting how these parents just are willing to put their children's health and safety up. The ones that literally um, feel like that, that they can also give them an education while them not having to go through that. Yeah. Mm. But besides for that, I'll just say like, this goes like with, with Aaron Rodgers. Trust, but verify. Right. Yeah. I feel like yeah. society as a whole. <laughs> We're going to get to Ronald Reagan soon enough, my friend. Um, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, verification has become something that offends people. Yeah. And that's Which just is, insane. It's not that we don't trust you. It's that we don't trust you. <laughs> it's no, not that we don't trust no, you. No, we do but, trust you, but we have to check everyone. Yeah. A, you have to check everyone. And B, again, for every person that you trust, even if 98% of the people are, are telling you the truth, 2% could be lying to you. And you got to find that 2%. And so the way to avoid discrimination, but also right, just to, right. I, I people agree make mistakes. So, right. But we'll get to that with Ronald Reagan. Um, I also sent you a picture of Vince Wilfork. He is yeah, a former is Texas. He was a defensive tackle for the Texans and for the New England Patriots. He's a huge guy. And again, I will have our viewers at home Google Vince Wilfork in overalls. It's a site you will never forget to get take out of your mind. I actually once had a friend who sat behind him in an airplane, uh, my friend Ben, and literally was terrified that the first class seat that he was sitting in front of him was going to collapse and Vince Wilfork was going to end up in his lap and he'd break his legs um, because he was right, such a large man. This guy looks huge. So, 
looking at the picture, how old do you, that picture was probably about of him and Oval about five, six like years ago. He... Pause, ladies and gentlemen, if you saw that quickly. But how old do you think Vince Wilfork is? Mm, 40. Wow, right? Is, did you Google, Google, Google it? Nope. Today is his 40th birthday. That is very impressive. Happy birthday, Vince. Yeah, he is a large man, and that's amazing because he looks like he's like 60 years old. Nah. Uh, I mean, that's being... Or, or 50 years old, maybe. 50, uh, I can see that. Yeah, but um, it's... it's. I, I'd love to see a picture of you now because hopefully he's slimmed down a little bit because nobody should be that large and that athletic. He was pretty athletic, too. It's impressive how these NFL linemen are able to be as athletic as they are despite their size. That's another yeah. kind of thing that goes underrated. So, But that um, takes a big toll on their joints. Yeah. Happy 40th birthday to you, Vince Wilfork. He's um, looking at you, kid. And moving on to history, today is the 100th anniversary of the stabbing death of the Japanese Prime Minister. So what a lot of people don't know, a lot of people just don't ever really think about Japan prior to World War II, but... This guy was prime minister, democratically elected, was pushing for tons of reforms, and a far right-wing person ended up stabbing and killing him, and eventually Japan led back to the emperor system and the totalitarian um, regime that they ended up becoming. And if you really think about it, it's amazing how democracy went from 1921, when this guy's trying to institute all of these democratic reforms, to... 20 years later, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And it's just amazing, and it shows you that how quick a moment in time can literally flip a switch, and that even if, again, even though Japan necessarily isn't a classic democratic country, but even when progress can get flipped on an instant and on a dime, who knows if this guy had never been stabbed, what type of progress he might have been made, and who knows if if Japan is in World War II in the same way that they end up becoming if, if he had never been killed. Yeah. Um, but I never remember learning that in history class. Like yeah, you'd this think that this would be right. You'd think that this would be a key thing to, to, to how Japan ended up going down this path. But everybody always talks about the German path and the result of World War One and the um, Treaty of Versailles. That's what led Germany in the hyperinflation and led to kind of Hitler rising power. Nobody ever talks about how Japan also was a democratic place 20 years earlier that went down this horrible path. So it's very interesting. I don't know if it's because of the Jewish educational system or just um, Nazis just always being the worst of World War Two but that this isn't nearly given as much talk about it. I was a history major at Penn, and I don't ever remember learning about this, even in my World War II class. So you learned about European history. No, but I also had a class literally on World War II, and you'd think that the stabbing to death of a prime minister of Japan 20 years before they'd ultimately bomb Pearl Harbor, that would somehow factor in any narrative. Mm. By the way, the fact that, I mean, I guess <clears throat> I'm going to assume that you're looking at it from the perspective of the American engagement to World War II only started Correct. at Pearl Harbor. But the Japanese had been at war at that right, point. Right, with China with the, in the 30s China, also. Russia, 
everywhere. Like they had been, they had been fighting all over the yeah, place. Which and, is like only like 15 years after this event. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. China was 36. So, so or 35. My point is, is that if the narrative, it's not about the education, the Jewish education system. It's just a matter of like, we, no, uh, yeah, focus I don't think it's Jewish. Uh, and I think that was unfair a little bit because especially but, I went to Penn and talk about World War II, and I never even heard about this. It's it's more interesting to me because it's more like, do we, as a European centric society, right, only focus Europe, on the Europe, European, European history? We, yeah, we don't talk about African history. We don't talk about Asian history. We talk about the French and the British, and we talk about the Germans and the Hungarians and the Viennese and the Polish and the Ukrainians, but we don't talk about. In history, we don't learn a lot about like yeah. Thailand it's very, or... it's very interesting how how there hasn't been a kind of change in the mentality. You'd think with kind of this progressive idealism just on everything that people would be talking about it, but I still I, I, it'd be very interesting. My guess is it's still not talked about. I mean, I didn't study history at uh, University of Pennsylvania. I'm kidding. I I I. I yeah, I got the I got the subtle dig there, but I didn't. I but but I'm a I I spend a lot of my spare time reading history or watching videos about history. This is the first I've ever heard of the yeah. so, Prime Minister of Japan being stabbed to death. Yeah, very interesting. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is it's the 42nd anniversary of the Iranian hostage crisis, um, which was very well done in the Oscar-winning film Argo. And that led to literally on the year to the date of that happening, Ronald Reagan being elected president. Um, it's the 41st anniversary of him being elected our 40th president. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's amazing. Talk about a narrative that really plays into each other. Literally one of the main reasons why, um, why Reagan won was a horrible inflation stagflation in the united states wages stagnated and inflation was horrible the oil embargo crisis and the iranian hostage crisis and americans thinking he was a very weak leader um so um kind of um a year earlier kind of set the stage for that so um an important anniversary of trust but verify one of reagan's sayings um as well as kind of um um making it morning in america again so it would be nice to have a leader with Reagan's optimism come out of the Republican party and to kind of take us out of this type of malaise. Cause um, as much uh, people criticize Joe Biden a lot, he's no Jimmy Carter in terms of how bad Jimmy Carter was, but it would be nice to see somebody on the right, a moderate Republican candidate have that idealism of what makes America strong and healthy. I didn't say great again um, um, on purpose, um, to have that person um, re, kind of reinvigorate the middle of America. Because I feel like you have the left being unhappy with Biden for not getting enough of their stuff done. The moderate left being like, why can't we just get something done? The Republicans being like, why don't we can't have moderate Republicans a leader who represents us? And the far right saying we can't wait to vote for Trump again in 24 to restore, to restore everything that was for those four years. So it's, it just seems like nobody is happy right now. So I feel like Reagan's optimism would be a welcome uh, thing in our country right now. You know, 
I mean, I guess it's a part, a big part of the environment in which we grow up. But I recently stumbled across like a more left-wing uh, video, and they were talking about how bad things were under Reagan. And I'm like, that's crazy. I've never heard anyone oh, talk about how yes, bad things were under Reagan. But it's a lot of it. He got reelected in 1984, winning 49 states. Okay, if things are horrible, you don't win 49 states in re-election. Like it's a, Amazing. it's very much a left-wing type of. Again, it wasn't great for everybody. There was a lot of problems with this country. You had an HIV epidemic happening around the country. You had, um, you had a lot of. I mean, race relations were definitely not where they are. Um, even though they're not great today, but, but they, they were not been good, good then. before him. Right. It's they not were, like they, things were yeah. really good and then they became exactly. bad Exactly. And, and people and trickle-down economics actually did work. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just the, the problem is they, they, uh, they feel like they have to counter um, that. But uh, the 80s were a very strong time in this country. Yeah. Moving on, um, something that hit a little closer to where you were living 26 years ago today, um, Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated. I actually remember where I was when I heard the news, even though it didn't happen in my country. It was I remember it was a Saturday night in Israel when he got shot and killed. Yep. Um, and Bill Clinton's famous um, Shalom Haver. I think we talked about it actually once on a podcast before, yep. but how he kind of, um, you can't, say that to anybody anymore because it's now forever talk uh connected with the rabbin assassinated so if you say shalom haver in israel people will be like why are we talking about rabbin by the uh, way i literally it's so funny that you're saying that and maybe because i i may have done this because subconsciously i associated with it seeing the notes preparing for tonight's podcast but i literally texted someone in hebrew tonight shalom haver wow <laughs> <laughs> they were probably like, dude, why are you mentioning this on the 26th anniversary of his assassination? Yeah. Probably not. Um, I was actually curious, where were you, do you when this happened? Do you remember? Because mm-hmm. you were young. You were probably 13? 12? 12. I'm not going to age you an extra year. 12. And, um, well, it was Motzei Shabbat, so I was at home. And Did um, they break into regular TV programming, I assume? Yep. And um, at first they were like, there were, there were gunshots. Right, exactly. Then, like, we were literally watching it live. And then, right. and then they said, he's fine. Then they said, he's dead. And they said, he's fine. And then I remember, so, and then in the meantime, I'll never forget this. There was someone at our house, like one of these like here for the year American kids. And he was sitting there going, oh, let him die, let him die. And in my head, even then, I was like, seriously? Like, this wow, is that's awful. Another... Well, because, and not to, I'm I, not actually, I'm, I'm not sure this justify anything. It was just awful. Right. Yeah. And, um, and at some point, some, my mom was speaking to someone that was at Malcha Mall. So we had cell phones already. Right. And they were saying that there was like rioting, that people were like setting garbage cans on fire and throwing like trash over the sides. Like there was this like moment of like almost anarchy. And I remember thinking to myself, I guess I knew what a civil war was. And I remember thinking to myself, like, is there going to be a civil war? Like, are we all just going to turn on each other? So you went and you got your mom's red heels and you clicked them together 
and you said, I want to go home to Canada. I want to go home to Canada. That would happen also. Well, I mean, considering that my parents moved to Israel just in time for the Gulf War, I don't think that a small civil war was going to discourage them from living in the Holy Land. Um, but, but you're not saying you didn't wear your mom's high red high heels. Good to know. Um, I don't think my mom owns a. Mm, maybe she does. She's listening. She can comment um, whether or not she owns a <laughs> pair of red high heel shoes, but. Um, that would be a funny reason to bring somebody on as a guest on a podcast. We wanted to know, do you have a pair of red high heel shoes? Yeah. But the the days afterwards were certainly bizarre. Um, I yeah, don't, I can imagine. I, we, went to, we, we went to school. Like, I'm pretty sure the next day we went to school. Um, Let's see how good your Israeli history is. You know who took over for him, correct? Shimon Peres. Very good. Very good. Who yeah. also, many people don't know, literally when the state of Israel uh, was founded in 48 um, and, and in the first few years after it was founded, gave his brother the exclusive contract to bring tuna fish into Israel and made his brother a fortune. That is Israeli politics 101. Shimon Peres also created the nuclear, the non-existent nuclear weapon program in Israel. You think you still think Israel doesn't have a nuke? Of course it does. Then why did you say non-existent nuclear program? Because officially it doesn't exist. Oh, okay. So non-official. You said non-existent. They're, those are two different things. Well, I'm I'm trying to toe the party line. Oh, thank God! I'm sure the uh, Mossad will be contacting you after this podcast, saying, "Levinstein, way to go, buddy." No You're one welcome. knows. You're welcome. <laughs> I I. I no need. I, I appreciate your gratitude. I got this. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely a strange time. And then the funeral, you know, this, I lived in Jerusalem, so the city shut down around the time of the funeral because all these dignitaries were coming in, all of that. Um, but it was a, it was definitely a bizarre time. But you know, as a, as a kid, you just sort of go on with living. You don't right. fully appreciate yeah. the magnitude of the event. I'm sure that people that were older than me were. Dealing with yeah. all kinds no, of it was like, probably it was probably their JFK assassination September 11th moment, but at that age, um, yeah, JFK September 11th, I feel like at any age, um, above kind of six or seven, it was a seminal moment, you knew where you were, but um, yeah, I feel like it was kind of Israel's JFK assassination, yeah, but I, oh, yeah, anyways, and then eventually, an hour after the news broke. I remember seeing live the doctor coming out. And the thing is, like, this is where you sort of see, I guess, the Jewish spirit. When he came out and announced it, he was crying. Everyone around him was crying. The reporters started crying. People were screaming, no, this can't be. And it's not just because Rubbing was killed. It's the notion of a Jew assassinating another Jew. Um, yeah. It's just so hard to, uh, to comprehend. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, a it was a weird time and, um, you know, we moved forward from there. I think after that, BB was elected. After Perez, yes. After yeah. Perez they took over for a little bit, then BB's first term of about two, two and a half years was then, um, he would, he was not as successful as first two and a half years. And then obviously from 09 to 20 had, I think the longest consecutive reign of any prime minister ever. I think and the crazy thing years, is, so. 
the time leading up to Rabin's assassination, you know, it was really intense times in Israel. I mean, we were yeah. on demonstrations all Ha-Ami the time. Where about Ami Magolan? Once they signed Oslo, we were like, you know, we were demonstrating it. I mean, it, we were going to demonstrations all the time. And it was a very, very tense time in the country. Yeah. And I feel like the country is actually a lot politically closer than when it was about 25 years ago to each other. I feel like the extremes, it's kind of like the opposite of the United States, at least of what it looks like to me, um, like in Israel. Because I remember in Israel, there used to be this huge fight between the left and the right. Now Israel's kind of settled on this middle center and everybody is either a little left of it or a little right of it. But it, it feels like Israel had ways way more extreme politically 25 years ago than it is today. Well, yeah, because so, so first of all, right. I mean, there's I mean, so the fact that like this that, even happened, but yeah. I mean, the, the real thing is, is that um, the, the waves of violence since then, since Oslo, especially, um, has it, it, joined the country a lot closer politically yeah, together. It affected yeah. everyone, right? Whether yeah. you're in te- once they start, once rockets started firing in Tel Aviv, like yeah, it doesn't matter if you're left or right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the irony is, is, like, the buses were blowing up in Tel Aviv also in the '90s, but they still stayed to the left. It was the rockets. Right. Anyways, but it's it's um, it was a, it was a weird time, but um, yeah, I guess it's sort of cool to have lived through that. And switching from Israeli politics to American politics, on this day 13 years ago, uh, Barack Obama was elected to his first term in office. And I believe there was a little bit under Bush, but it was more about an anti-war stance, which has always happened in this country. Um, Nixon had plenty of people when, I mean, I mean, LBJ had plenty of people oppose him during Vietnam. So people have always had that. And because of the war in Iraq, um, um, people were opposing Bush on it and, they made fun of him, but the real political end of civilized political discourse between the left and the right, this country really started with Obama's inauguration. Like the fact that it wasn't even attacking him over his politics, which there's plenty to attack over Obama's politics, especially his foreign policy. Oh, um, yeah. But it was, but it was, it was about, he's from Africa. He's not American. He's not like the inherent racism, the inherent personal attacks i mean um that literally just it it felt like america went back in time 150 years um to basically like the civil war again um and and it hasn't gotten any better 13 years later despite you went from obama which begat trump who was skewed completely the other direction and now biden is i mean you could say maybe it's a little better but it, it doesn't it doesn't feel any better. And the fact that Trump is likely going to run again, probably in 24 means that I don't know how long this era of this strong political partisanship of far left and far right continue, but it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight, which is extremely sad and scary. So. Cancel culture. uh, I mean, it's, it's nuts. And on the right uh, and, don't get me started on the far right. So got- I, 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 I get what And um, when I read what you said in terms of like 13 years ago, the end of civilized political discourse, I, coincidentally, I was listening to Jordan Peterson. I mean, I, I listen to Jordan Peterson regularly, but the Jordan Peterson podcast I was listening to today 
they were talking about um, the enlightenment and righteous mind. And one of the guests he had on was talking about, he said, actually, 2012, and, and he sort of, he says between 2009 and 2012 is when what you described, you know, the end of civil discourse, not just political discourse, civil discourse in general died. And what happens between, and he attributes that to the emergence of technology, social media. I think it's part of it, but I think Obama's, I think Obama was the tip of the iceberg. But if social media didn't exist in the format that it did, Right. If he had been elected in 2004, would it have been the same? And this guy would say no, because he really thinks that the interconnectivity and networks that we established allowed it changed. Right. Well, it changed also the nature of discourse, where right. people all of a sudden were. They didn't have to hold dis- back anymore. This is my opinion. Good luck finding But also they were interacting with networks and groups that they never would have previously. Right. And they found like-minded individuals that may never have ever found off not. Both directions. But also they all of a sudden were bumping up against the other groups that they previously had never had anything to do with. Correct. And so Obama getting elected may have been a part of it. Maybe it was like Well, he was the thing. Yes, correct. He was the stimulant. He was the thing that caffeinated all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure, and that 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 makes sense. But to say, you know, it was it was this whole technology thing, and um, you know, and the, the guy I was listening to Jordan Peterson, he'll go back and say it started with cable TV in the '80s, which is you know reasonable. Once you started just changing, you know, bringing eliminating local TV and bringing things on a national level and starting to connect people that everyone was watching CNN, everyone was watching NBC, right, like. Once you had that evolution also, um, that changed things. But it was interesting to see, to hear him talk about it because he really said it was, it was, it was, the, it was the elements of social media um, that, that really changed it. Very interesting. Um, speaking about somebody that had a lot of presidents, um, today would have been 105th birthday, 105th birthday of Kite. Um, he was most famously known for being the first person to hit CBS News to report the passing of John F. Kennedy, as well as the longtime news anchorman at CBS, um, and literally was named, I think, the most trusted man in America um, way back when, and that's what he was known for. He delivered the news of the Kennedy assassination on November 20, 1963, to basically the United States, um, and I just amazing before i don't think anybody can ever be called the man in america except in an ironic way anymore. um and it, it's kind of nuts like i'm trying to somebody who's universally beloved in this country um and literally the only one i can even come close to thinking about it is like tom hanks like i have yet to meet somebody on the right the left who's like oh no, I, tom hanks is horrible um um Look, journalism has changed, right? Correct. Like, without a doubt. From reporting to commentating. Eh, right. And so, my, and the reason I say that is because Wampler Cronkite was the most trusted person. I, I didn't know that, but you're saying that. 
fine. It's not me saying that. That's literally what he was known for. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Like that's how they. That's what he. That's how he's perceived. But the reality is, is that he was just. He, maybe he was a little bit different than the journalists today. Yeah, but he, perception the, the is reality. The fact that he was perceived to be the most trusted man in America made him the most trusted man in America. You understand? As long as people perceive something, it becomes then the reality. If enough Fair people enough. perceive it to be. Yeah, I hear that. Um, but would have been nice if, we, if he was 105 years old. And here's what he would say about. Yeah, here's what he would say about this state of affairs in the country today. I, I think he, like most of us, would be highly depressed. <laughs> what do you mean, like most of us? We're not. You're not depressed, depressed for the state of. Are you not? Then you don't follow nearly enough politics. Um, I do follow politics, but I don't. It's let depressing it, what's going let... on between the left and the right, and what's going on between within the left. It's what's going on and who's getting elected. It's what's going. It's just like I spoke to somebody well, and, who's so running for Congress. All they literally kept telling me is like they went over the same four or five bullet points, like oh, stop the far left takeover of this country. I can't wait to get Donald Trump's endorsement. Like. This works on like so many people. I'm like, I don't give a crap about any of this. And he's like, I'm trying to stop the socialist policies of my opponent. He's one of the Castro brothers. There. He's a classic liberal. I think it's Julian or Joaquin. I think it's Julian Castro that this guy's running against. Like, he's not a socialist, but this is what they're saying in order to fundraise to get people to give them money. Is they try to drive them to be scared of the extremes that's currently there. And it's like, what are you, what are we doing? Us versus them. It's unbelievable. This, it's it used to be. It used to be. This is what I believe, and this is what I stand for. Now it's like, do you see how bad this person is? Vote for me because this guy's awful, not because of what I believe in or anything I stand for. It's because it's horrible. But because I don't stand for it, like whatever that guy stands for, I'm the opposite of it. Or, or go positive. Like, don't talk about the other person. Be positive in what you are and why you what your plans are and what you'd like to do. It's well, literally he so, said nothing on the phone of what he would hopefully like to accomplish. It was all what he was trying to stop. I'm like, uh, I listened to it for five minutes. I'm like, I'm gonna give you money. So I've quoted Simon Sinek before, but he's the one that talks about the infinite game theory and, and sort of how you can't be short sighted in business can't really be short-sighted in life and it's an infinite game there's no finish line other than death um even that may not be a finish line soon enough that's a fair point um anyways he i just recently saw a video of his where he talks about governance right and he said you know the problem with governance getting elected is a finite exercise right you get elected right the actual election process of the campaign that's finite but governance should be an infinite game but the reality is is that it's not right it should be that you're governing to sort of keep the ball rolling forward but what ends up happening is that the governance just becomes my attempt at staying in power well that's why term limits are so important in this country because you have a much better chance of achieving that if the fact that people would actually take up term limits because then they would put finite amounts of time in their minds as to what they can accomplish i don't think it would improve everything but it would definitely go a good step in the right direction if you know that you only have 
12 years to get whatever it is you want to get done or six years Correct. to get whatever it is you want done. It changes how you behave. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, but I, but I, I, I actually, I'm going to agree with um, Jordan Peterson's guest and I can pull up his name if I care to, but I don't um, that it's more the interconnectivity that social media has brought to society that's no, problematic it's, that's valid. I, 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 it's, it's like everything it's a combination of factors that might be the thing most exactly that might be the thing most responsible but it's definitely not the only thing right and then obama gets elected and all of a sudden these these walls and these, but these communication media barriers are... and, but social media in 08 isn't close to what social media is today either no, no. twitter in 08 and, i mean um facebook was no, there's still... twitter in 08 Nobody was on Twitter in 2008. The nerds and the dorks were. Okay, it had, it probably had users of under 100,000. No, more than that, but not like it is today. Okay. How many users did Twitter have in January of, uh, in 2008? I'm typing slowly. This makes for great listening. Um, okay, okay. You're right. Twitter had Twitter had three hundred thousand tweets per day in two thousand. Yeah, okay? it was rocking and rolling. Okay, that's not rocking and rolling. Do you know how many tweets were sent today? Okay, three, but eight hundred million. Eight hundred <laughs> million tweets were sent today. Okay, but okay. this is two thousand eight. Right, but well, that's what I'm saying. Social media wasn't close to what it is today back in 08. So the Obama-fueled rhetoric was happening even before. Like, the social media resolution is really in the last five to seven years. By the way, the funny thing is, in 2008, when you were tweeting at someone, because that was most of what was happening, it was basically, like, direct messaging publicly. Right. That's what it was, it was initially. Right. It was basically aim for public consumption. It was, yeah, it was aim and let everyone see what my conversation is. To sort of what I guess the podcast is today. Well, moving on to our last two topics of random. Happy 68th birthday to the Karate Kid, who is now no longer a kid, but an AARP member. Um, it's crazy. Well, I was looking this up because I was like 60. I knew the movie came out in the mid-80s. So the movie came out in 84. And he was almost 22 playing a 17-year-old. So still, like if Ralph Macchio's character in the movie is supposed to be 17. Wait, let me ask you this. The first time you saw Karate Kid, how did you watch it? I was. I think it was on TV, like on like TNN, okay. TNT, or T- TBS. Like, yeah, because yeah, I haven't same. seen it since then, like a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I never rented it. I didn't. I think it was just on cable. That's the other thing. I don't think anybody watches movies anymore on cable television because everybody wants to start it from the beginning, and half the time you pick up a movie ten or fifteen minutes through. And um, I, I also think just our consumption of everything is just so different from like even how we grew up. But regardless, um, like the idea that you could go into and literally watch almost any movie ever made for three ninety nine is insanity. But 
Um, anyway, um, the other thing that was fascinating to me is that the whole movie was filmed in only 46 days. Like, I know movies aren't that typically long processes, but 46 days to film a feature film that has kind of stood the test of time seems like they really kind of um, either didn't need a lot of takes or must have not been that difficult of a shooting to do that movie in 46 days. How many days do you think it took to film Saving Private Ryan? It was months and months. I think it was like 9 to 12 months, probably. The whole movie, or 6 to 9 months. I Typically, movies are at least 3 to 4 months. 46 days is insane. It lasted 2 months. What? They filmed Saving Private Ryan less than two, in 2 months? Mm-hmm. Wow. So I just watched a documentary on this. That was that was just. It a took two months, guess. and by the way, two months, and I think twenty pl- around twenty something days just to film D Day. Right. Well, that land. So I they, mean, that's one of the most famous cinematic scenes in movie history. I mean, you had veterans of D Day walking out of the theater because it was so realistic to them that they couldn't watch it. But think about that: sixty days of filming, twenty days of which were spent just doing D Day. Yeah, well, the rest, the rest of the movie wasn't that hard to film. If you, oh. if you remember that movie, they're literally in a field and they're walking for most of that movie. How about this? Where did they film D-Day? That's a great question. They film in Canada? Ireland. Ireland. Right. I actually... I think I actually knew that. And just I have to find this. I, I, sent, I apologize. I watched this. I should have sent it to you. It was a great documentary on filming it. Oh, um, I, well, yeah. I'd love to watch that, actually. I'm in my spare time. Yeah, it was really yeah. good. Um, but happy 60th birthday to you. And it's just kind of nuts that, like, the kid in that movie is 60 years old. You know what? I'm going to try and watch. I think it's on Netflix. I'm going to try and watch it. I, I haven't seen it since like I was a kid. I don't even know That's what I'm because saying. I like grabbed it on TNT TBS if I ever even really saw the entire film. I might have like started yeah. watching it twenty minutes in, but um, yeah, it's probably worth it. And then you can start on the series after after watching all the movies. They have the Cobra Kai series. So I mean, the cool thing is if you actually get into this, and maybe something we can do. I haven't seen it either, and then you can then watch the series and hours of mindless entertainment at your disposal. That you can start from the beginning. I love mindless entertainment at my disposal. Yeah. I weep for the future. Um, and finally, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey turns 52 today. And I bring that up because he might become the next governor of, Tex- governor of Texas. He's debating running. And his campaign slogan would have to be, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, okay, a few things. So, first of all, I really like him, but I don't really know what his policies are, and I don't really know he's what his political like, affiliation is. Form like a third party. I think he's like a very much a moderate. So he's like the Andrew like. Yang of Texas. That's what I think he's going for, but just a much less sophisticated version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good for Texas. Um, that's why I think he'd have a shot to win. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a great. I, I was watching his YouTube channel for a while. It's actually really enjoyable. Funny thing, when we were coming back from Big Bend, we drove through 
Uvalde, Texas. Right. And that's his hometown. Mm-hmm. And and the re- only reason I know that is because when we do these road trips, my wife and I tend to well the game we play basically as we're when we do our road trips is as we go through towns or as names of towns show up on the GPS, we Google them and we read about them. And it, by the way, this is probably one of the best ways to enjoy a road trip. Like this isn't about passing time. Like we have a blast. We we like like it's just fun. So if you're a road tripper, it's a game I definitely recommend. It's something we came up with ourselves where as we see different names of cities pop up, we we ta- like Tanya will Google them and read them to me as and we discuss them as we're driving through them. So when we were driving through Evalde, she was like, Oh, this is where Matthew McConaughey's from. And I'm like, I didn't even know he's from Texas. And oh, um, really? Yeah. It's like he well, used to what growing up, I remember he used to be the voice of the Don't Mess with Texas commercials. I, to me he's the Lincoln lawyer. Well um, that's the, he's governor. The question is does Lincoln then have Move to Texas because he's now the. Why wouldn't they move their plan to Texas? They would. They probably anyway. All the other manufacturers are doing, but I don't understand why anyone is doing business anywhere else except for Texas. Well, there are other states like Tennessee state income tax, Florida has no state income tax. Um, it's not about no state income tax. No, it's at the disposal and. We're on the Have Gulf it, of Mexico. Yeah. There's obviously more. There's just the state income tax. But, but, yes, but not for me, the cities. Very. Yep. It's amazing. Next time I recommend this to anybody listening, you're on a cross-country trip or just flying over a state. When you have a clear day and you're at 30,000 feet, just look out the window and see how much land there is in this country. It's unbelievable and insane. Like, I look at it and I'm like, it's amazing how everybody thinks, like, there's a cap to how much the population could be on this planet. With technology, better irrigation systems, there's so much space and land available. I don't know how there ever could potentially be a cap on the number of people in this world. Especially sure. with tech, emerging technology. Like, everybody's like, oh, there's just too many people on the planet. We got to make sure to, to limit the number of people. Now, again, if you're a tiny country, maybe that's the case. But in a country like the United States of America, I, I can't imagine us ever saying, there's just no more land here. Yeah. I mean, we would probably, the population here would probably have to be in the billions. Try like trillion. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, whenever we like, it probably takes a good, probably takes a good hour to get out of Houston, right? Or like, and all the areas surrounding Houston. Driving but, wise, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Driving wise. But once you're out, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy, yeah. and it's just big empty spaces. But you're driving through these big empty spaces on these like eight lane highways, so it's yeah. not like there's not like infrastructure. To... Yeah, yeah. And if and if no, at some point are, they build a fast rail, are, yeah. But there are places in the country that's Texas though. But there are plenty. You're flying over Wyoming. You're flying over where was I was going to Las Vegas. You're flying over Nevada. You're flying like there's places that there's 
definitely no infrastructure to get there. That's my point. That's why everyone should be moving their factories and businesses to Texas because here we actually have roads everywhere to move your 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 materials around. Yeah. No, and you're still, even though you're the southernmost point, you're still in the center of the United States, also. Um, so. Yep. It's no, it's um, it's a mm. it's a good place to be. But to come back to to McCon- to McConaughey, 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 McConaughey. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Greg Abbott, but I'm I'm pretty fond of him. So, like, is he going to be able to un? I don't think like, so. I I think he's. My guess is. If he's smart, he waits. If he actually is serious about it, he waits till Abbott's done, and then there will be a hole in opening, and he could potentially win. I don't think he could beat Abbott. As unpopular as Abbott people think he is, he's really not that unpopular in the state of Texas. I mean, I mean, people think he's very unpopular outside of Texas. Stuff. Maybe he's outside of Texas. He's not popular. Right. right. But governor. The people outside of Texas may give money to his uh, peep opponents, but. They can't vote for him, his opponent. So Governor so. Abbott's. Oh, he actually has. Uh, well, in September, he had pretty bad approval ratings. Forty-one uh, percent approval rating. That's not very good. Yeah, but that'll change again. That's literally that was in September was the height of all this abortion stuff. People have very short memories. Well, I mean, and then you can all. Then it's also a function of what happens with the Supreme Court and abortion. Right. Um, interesting. No, maybe he could. Maybe, maybe the truth is, maybe then that is enough um, to give him a chance. But then again, does he want to? Do you want to be the guy? Oh, I think he's seriously exploring it. I don't think this isn't like people trying to draft him. Like, you know, who'd be cool as governor? No, this is because I think he potentially wants it. I think he's just determining his best course of action. Eventually, I, 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 I think absolutely eventually he wants it. The question is, does he want it? Like, to your point, does he want it where he kicks Abbott out or does he want it where he waits till Abbott's done and then he steps in? Yeah, no, that remains to be seen. Ah, very interesting. And I think that sums up our weekly four for this week of November 4th. I think so. Well, have a great night, and thank you again to all of our listeners out there, and remember to subscribe. If you've been with us for 55 minutes of this podcast, you should come back every week. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if you're still listening, you absolutely want to subscribe, and if you do, we will send you a free, original nothing. Or we can mention their name on the podcast. I don't think we know who subscribes to this. But you know what? If you subscribe and you send us a message that you subscribed, yeah, there you go. We'll mention you on the podcast. Amazing how social media works. There you go. And and if you do subscribe, share it also. We should probably say this at the beginning of the podcast when everyone's still listening. <laughs> Have a good night, my friend. Good night, buddy.